Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. The King, the Cross. And so a paradox, you know, definition-wise, is a seemingly absurd or contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated is actually found out to be true. Here's, here's a simple one for you. Um, it's a paradox that we call it quicksand when it takes you down very slowly. I know, I know, bad dad joke, but we'll just, we'll just leave that one there for the moment. But over, over these next four weeks, the paradox that we're going to be talking about is the life that Jesus lived on this earth. The, the paradox that a divine king would take on human flesh, live approximately for around 33 years, and mind you, with 30 of them-ish being in like total obscurity, that the divine would come, that heaven would come to earth and live in obscurity for the vast majority of his life and then sacrifice and lay down his life on the cross to die a criminal's death. That, that, is, that is a paradox. And so over this series, we're going to be looking at this whole idea of the king and the cross, and we're going to be looking at it through uh, the Gospel of Mark, which is uh, one of the Gospels in the New Testament. Mark is the second book of the New Testament, which is about the last third of the Bible, and it's been described as like the highlight reel of Jesus' doing on the earth. It doesn't contain a lot of Jesus' actual like teaching and sermons, but it contains a lot of his doing. And so uh, the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, is broken up symmetrically into two, uh, two eight-chapter sections. So the first chapters, verses one, sorry, not verses, chapters one through to eight, um, Jesus is identified as king over all things. That's where we get the king part from. And so this is what we'll be sharing over, the, over this week and next. How does Mark show us that Jesus is king overall, uh, from his doing, from his miracles, from whatever took place. How, how does this show us that Jesus is king? And then the next section, so chapters 9 through to 16, um, shows us his purpose in dying on the cross. And that'll be the final two weeks of this series in March as we start getting ready to head into Easter. And so I'd love to encourage you um, over the course of this month in your Bible reading, would you look at and start to read the book of Mark? According to the audio Bible, it takes, wait for it, only an hour and a half if you didn't have any breaks just to sit there and you would get through all 16 chapters of the book of Mark. That is less than any of the Star Wars movies. They all go for longer. That's about a quarter of the director's cut of The Hobbit because I'm sure that goes for like hours and then insert it's like two, three episodes, whatever you're binging on Netflix at the moment. Only an hour and a half. And so I don't say that to bring uh, condemnation to us but I'd, I would love to challenge us and it doesn't just have to be in one sitting. But surely over the course of this month, what's left of March, we could take some time to read God's Word, to look through and let it form and shape who we are. So talking about Mark, 
Uh, the book of Mark starts off with a bit of a with, with a bit of a bang. So if it was a if it was a movie intro, uh, it wouldn't be one of those super long intros that has you know like a thousand different executive producers listed. And you're like, what does an executive producer do, and why do they need 15 of them for this film? But anyway, it wouldn't it wouldn't be like that. It wouldn't be like that long shot of a you know a car winding through like a rocky mountain pass with slow music, and it just keeps going and going and going. And like I know you're setting the scene here, filmmaker, but just hurry up. No, no, mark something different. It's like, bam, like straight into it. It would be like opening scene, like fight scene, like opening scene, like explosion, opening scene, epic car chase, because obviously great movies contain all those three things and, and, and nothing else. But anyway, Mark starts like this, uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, you can read along in your Bibles or, you know, app or uh, on the screen behind me. It says, it's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I am sending my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I read that and some of you are thinking, Sorry, I must have misheard. Like, where's the, where's the explosion? Like, where's the, where's the epic car chase? But in, in the first few verses, Mark jumps straight in there and, and he says something which is pretty confrontational at the time. He says that Jesus is God. No, like, little move into it. No little, oh, let me show you how. He just comes out straight out and says, here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is God. He then references one of the Old Testament prophets, a guy called Isaiah, and says that John, who is this guy who's a little bit weird, a little bit, you know, a little bit left of centre, a little bit out in the desert, um, just baptising, baptising people. He's been preaching out there about this coming Messiah, about uh, being baptised for the forgiveness of sins. And Mark says that this guy, John, was part of the fulfilment of prophecy, which connects Jesus to the faith that Israel and the Jewish nation had in God. So Mark wasn't pulling any punches. He was just straight in there. Hey, you need to realise this Jesus guy, he is God. He is God. Moments later, Mark shows us not necessarily through Jesus' teaching, but through the action of his baptism. He, he shows us that Jesus is God, and he gives us this incredible picture of God as, as three persons, yet one. We call that concept Trinity. No, no um, matrix references right here, but, but, but he speaks about God as three in one. I will read it, Mark uh, chapter 1, 9 to 11. It says, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. That's, that's a river. Verse 10. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. So here we find that at Jesus' baptism here, there's, there's three parties that, uh, that are active and represented. There's God the Father, that's the voice thundering from heaven. You are my, my beloved Son and you are well pleased. There's the Spirit, the Bible says, descending like 
a dove. And then obviously there's Jesus, the Son of God, being baptised. Now there's that water scene with the, with the Father, Son, and the Spirit there. But it actually have, has echoes of a very early water scene right at the beginning of creation in Genesis chapter 1. It says there in the beginning that God created the world. Genesis tells us that the world was formless and void, that darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit hovered. Then God used the word, which is Jesus, because uh, John chapter 1, verse 1, it'll be on the screen behind us, uh, tells us that, um, that Jesus is the word. It says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. So speaking about that creation account right there at the start of Genesis. And so God creates the world through the sun by his word. He says, let there be light. And there was light. He said, let the waters part and, 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 it, and it happens. So right at the beginning of creation, we see that God reveals himself not just as one big God or not as three different gods that all work in and alongside each other and, you know, just have a good relationship and get on well. No, we find that God reveals himself as three but one. Three but one. Three persons who know and love each other but are still one. You're like, how, do, how does that work? Well, we, we know in human terms it can't work, but with God it does. So... Back to the scene with Jesus getting water baptised. As he comes out of the water, the Father affirms and covers him with words of love. He says, we read it before, he says, You are my son, whom I love, in you I am well pleased. We'll, we'll just take a little sidetrack for a second here. That's a snapshot for all the fathers that are in the room here, that we have an extremely important role to play in our children's lives. We, we have a role to speak life over them, to affirm them, not just in what they do, but in who they are. You see, the Father says that over Jesus' life, even before He does any amazing miracles. He doesn't say that after Jesus um, he, um, feeds the 5,000 and this amazing miracle happens. The Father doesn't say that over the Son after, um, after He you know, raises someone from the dead or after He heals a paralytic. No, it's before all of that happens, the Father affirms the Son and says, I am well pleased in you. It was in who he was. See, fathers, you have great power and therefore great responsibility. No Spider-Man references. Anyway, to form, sorry, on fire with the movies today, to form and shape your child's identity. If we look around culture, if we look around the world, uh, it's always been, but particularly at the, at the moment, such uh, identity is so prevalent. And for, I know I'm just you know, laser pointering in on the dad's here, but you have an opportunity to form and to shape your children's identity by the words that you say, by the actions that you take, by the, by the, by the love, that you, love that you show. But anyway, there's a, that's a full message for another day. But nevertheless, the father does that to the son. And then in that account that we read in Mark, the spirit of God is then to cover him in power. Now, this Father, Spirit, Son, uh, that wasn't just a, a rare one-time event that happened then or that happened at creation. This has been happening within the interior life of the Trinity for eternity. 
Mark is giving us a glimpse into the very heart of reality, into the meaning of life, into essentially the essence of the universe. The Father teaches, sorry, the Bible teaches that the Son and the Father continually glorify each other. I I heard a, a preacher describe it like this before. He said, it's like the glory never rests. It's an endlessly bouncing as the Father glorifies the Son, the Son glorifies the Spirit, who in, who in turn glorifies and points back to the Father. There's this incredible presence within God Himself and the glory never rests. There's, there's never one part of God that says, no, 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 I'm the boss. They may have different functions, but there's not one that says, hey, it's all about me. No, no, it's all about me. No, it's all about me. What a stark contrast to the world that we live in. C.S. Lewis, the great Christian author, wrote this. He said, In Christianity, God is not a static thing, but a dynamic, pulsating activity, a life, almost a kind of drama, almost, if you would not think me irreverent, a kind of dance. I don't know what you're like at dancing, but I'll put my hand up and say I'm not very good. I should be better because I have a bit of a musical drumming, you know, type sort of background. So, you know, all the indicators should be that I should be good at dancing, but I'm not. I remember uh, being in year eight uh, PE class doing dancing as a topic at school. Who, who remembers doing that? It was the, it was the 90s, so I had uh, a blonde middle part with an undercut happening, looking, you know, really, really amazing. And um, I remember we were doing the waltz, so doing, you know, doing a waltz uh, with, a, with a young lady. And, you know, year eight, um, you know, you're already a little bit nervous and palms are sweaty and you're trying not to, like, oh, I'm holding hands with a girl. Like, what's, what's, what, what's going on here? And I remember the teacher walking past me and he was like, shouldn't you be able to stay in time? Like, you're a, you're, you're a drummer, aren't you? Like, what are you doing? Like, thank you. It wasn't quite the, you know, you are my son and whom I love and you are well pleased. That was, that, was, that was completely the opposite. Uh, Rachel and I, we only dance in very specific uh, situations. Those are, um, I'll tell you what they are. No, no, it's, it's okay. It's okay for general consumption. Um, as wedding receptions. And we aren't really good. So I should clarify, I'm not very good. Sometimes Rachel looks at me and she's like, what are you doing with your arms? She's like, you dance like your father. <laughs> That's just bad. Um, but we realise that what we lack in skill, we make up for in passion. So we just go for it, you know, and it covers a multitude of dancing sins right there. But I'm not sure what your dancing skills are like. In church, we say we dance, but we don't. We clap two and four, please, everyone. And we sometimes lift our feet and jump. And occasionally we might even, if you're a little bit old school, swing a little foot forward and do the Pentecostal two-step. Okay, but we don't really, we don't really dance. But anyway, C.S. Lewis uh, describes this relationship between Father, Spirit, and Son like a dance. Maybe you're thinking, okay, that's, that, that's great. Awesome. Nice metaphor. I get it. But you know, really, like, big deal. Like, what is that? Okay, I've got some theological understanding here. Okay, awesome, great. But, but what does that actually, you might be thinking, what does that actually mean for me? Well, can I say in all love and grace that at the heart of that question, or really at the heart of that thinking, and we've all been there and we all continue to, to think like this, it's actually the exact thing that we really want to drill down on today. You see, the opening verse that we read 
at the beginning says, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that word gospel simply means news that brings joy. And the news that brings joy that Mark's talking about is that Jesus came not just so you could watch the dance of the relationship between the Father, the Spirit, and the Son, but He came so that you could join in this dance. If you're a bad dancer like me, you've probably you know, looked up on the dance floor many times and gone, I wish I could do that. But God doesn't want to leave you standing on the side of the dance floor, drinking your hand because you're covering, not going out and dancing, you know, leaning up against the wall like all the non-dancers, I know, like all the non-dancers do. God wants you in this dance with the Father, the Spirit, and the Son. But, but here's, here's the thing, and this is why I say this was really at the heart of the question, you know, the Shannon Noel question, what, a, what about me? To join the dance, you have to be willing to not have everything orbit around you. That's, 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 the, that's the heart of the matter. That's, where I, that's, what I, sorry, that's why I said that question, what does it mean for me, really gets to the heart of the matter. Now, I understand that most of the time when we're thinking like this, it can just mean, okay, so what's my responsibility in this area? But I'm challenged personally and continually every single day, to be honest, to remind myself, this is not about me. This life is just not about me. That there's bigger things, there's greater things. And we see that God is three in one, the Father, Spirit, and Son, each one pouring love and joy and adoration into the other, each one serving the other, each one infinitely seeking one another's glory. That shows me, that shows me that if this world was created by a God like this, then these relationships of mutually self-giving love is actually what life is all about. That, that's, that's, that's the essence, that's the centre. That it's not about what I can get, but it's about what I can give. It's not about being in a relationship or a friendship or, a, or even a family and, and what I can gain from it, but it's about being in relationships where it's what, whereas I give and this person gives and that person gives. There's this incredible dance that takes place and right there we are representing God, we are representing who He is, His character and His purpose to the world that we live in. Tim Keller says this, uh, author and uh, pastor in New York, he says, a self-centered life is a stationary life. It's static, not dynamic. A self-centered person wants to be the center around which everything else orbits. I might help people. I might have friends. I might fall in love. I might even give to the poor, as long as it makes me feel good about myself and doesn't hinder my lifestyle too much. But we are called... As children of God, we are called as a church, we are called as men and women in this place into a dance with an almighty, all-powerful God who also shows us in himself, three in one, what this mutually self-giving love looks like. You see, God had everything that he needed in himself. He, he even had relationship. You know, some people, they say, you know, why did God create humanity? Well, he needed relationship. Well, not really. Because God was sufficient in everything. In fact, he had relationship in himself. He wasn't lacking something. He was sufficient, content, and happy, and had all the love. So why, why would he need to create humanity? Again, Tim Keller, who's a lot smarter than me, says this. He says, there's only one answer. He must have created us not to get joy, but to give joy. Not to get joy, but to give joy. 
That's why God created humanity. Maybe as Josh joins me as we get ready to wrap up this morning. You know, I, I, I really feel this, this season that we're in as a, as a community, uh, as a state of Western Australia, that this, this is an amazing opportunity right now to give joy. In this season of disruption and being out of control, we never really were in control, we just thought we were before and frustrations. Yes, there's all those things going on, but I believe it's also primed for people who know their relationship with God, know their togetherness with this God who's three in one, this God who lives in this relationship of this dance of glory, of peace, of love, of joy, just bouncing and never just resting on one, but always looking for the other. I, I, I believe that we're primed to bring this peace and this love, this grace of God to a world that needs it so much. Not because everything is going our way, but because we get it from God who is love and who is joy and who is grace. You see, Disney tells us, look inside yourself, you'll find it, then give it out. Can I tell you, I don't have it in myself. You don't have it in yourself. You may have up to a point, but there's something. We serve a God of love. We serve a God of grace who has it. And what He does is He moves through our lives. As we open our hearts to Him and we say, God, I'm going to use this season, maybe as tough as it's been for my business, maybe as challenging as it's been for my health or my family or the decisions I've had to make or whatever's gone on, as challenging as it's been, God, I'm going to look to You. And I'm going to grab your perspective and realise that no matter what has gone on, that I have a relationship with you. And that if I look to that, that through that, your love and your grace will come out to my school. Your love and your grace will come out to my workplace, to my family, to my social settings, my sporting clubs, wherever I am. And I will bring something different. Not because I'm better but because I'm connected to something higher. Because I have a relationship with a God who lives in this place of grace, of love, of mercy, of peace. You see, this week, I want to challenge and encourage you, myself as well, instead of trying to reach and grab for joy or love or contentment from others or from things or from experiences or from purchases, I wonder if we could look this week and see where we could give some of that. Where we could model this same dance that the Father, Spirit and Son are in and we could give joy this week. Like I said, we're in, we're in a season where our city, where people need this more than ever before. I, I wonder this week, where or who you could give some of that to. Maybe it's in your workplace. Oh, you know, I'm on Microsoft Teams. How could I? How could I do that? You'd still text somebody. Could still send them an encouraging message. Who knows? Uber eats at the door of someone unexpectedly is always a win. Chocolate dropped off always works. There's there's ways that we can be that we can be generous. There's ways that we can take what we have and go. You know what? I am not going to make this about me. I'm going to give joy this week. 
I'm going to give someone my time. I'm going to give someone, you know, a gift. I'm going to give someone some encouraging words. And I wonder this week, what's one decision you could make that would help to move yourself out of the centre so that things and people and situations don't revolve around you, but you're like, you know what, I'm taking a step back out of the centre. I'm realising that I'm part of a dance with the Almighty God and I'm going to put the focus on someone else. What could you do this week that would take the spotlight away from yourself and place it on someone else? Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a work colleague, maybe it's a member of your family. I'm not saying this to negate any challenge that we're facing personally right now, but I'm saying that in this, when we take our focus off us and put it somewhere else, it's, it's incredible what happens. It's amazing what, we don't do it for this reason, but it's amazing what change God brings into our hearts, into our lives. And so this morning, I'd love you to bow your head. We're going we're gonna to pray together.